this morning to think about the Apostle Peter. If you don't know who Peter is, uh, Peter was one of the unofficial leaders of Jesus' disciples, or as, the, as Jesus' ministry became uh, further along, Peter became uh, one of the leaders of his disciples, right? If you remember your stories, kids from like Sunday school about Peter, he made great statements of faith, right? He said, you are the Christ, the Son of God, when Jesus asked who he was to his disciples. He walked on water, right? Jesus was walking to the boat on the water, and and Peter said, if it's you, let me get out of the boat and walk to you. And he got out and walked on the water towards Jesus. And he had the opportunity to see the transfiguration of Jesus, right? He went up on the mountain with Jesus and saw Jesus transformed so that he could see the glory of God, right, in Jesus. He also had little faith. He sank into the sea because he took his eyes off of Jesus. And he would deny, right? He would deny knowing Jesus three times in the night that Jesus was put on trial to be put to death. Peter would subsequently be forgiven by Jesus and would later experience beatings, imprisonment, and great persecution for his faith in Jesus and sharing that faith with others. This Peter, who's the author of this letter, who went through all of that, knows what it's like to experience all kinds of trials, suffering, and persecution. So as we come to our text, we must keep in mind that what Peter shares with the early Christians in Asia Minor and us today are not some mere platitudes, some just nice things to think about about faith, hope, and love in the midst of trials. But this is his life story. This is what he has himself gone through. He has lived it and known it. And in the midst of that, knows the great mercy of God in his own life and the faith, hope, and love that he knew in and through his own trials and suffering. With that in mind, let's read 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 12. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen Him, you love Him. Though you do not now see Him, you believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Concerning the salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully 
inquiring what person or time the Spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you in the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. Lord, we thank you for the inspiration of your Holy Spirit in the life of the Apostle Peter to give us this letter, to give those early Christians this letter of encouragement and hope, even in the midst of great trials. Lord, we pray that you would, by your Spirit, encourage us this day, even in the midst of trials that we might be experiencing as well. Lord, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Last week, we began our new sermon series in 1 Peter titled, Exiles. We were reminded reminded that as Christians, we are like exiles or aliens or sojourners or strangers living in the world because we ultimately belong to another, the kingdom of God. We saw that if we are in Christ, we are exiles. We are dispersed exiles, but we are elect exiles and we are sanctified exiles. This morning, building off of the understanding that we are exiles, not exiled from God, but exiles in this world, exiles who are elect and sanctified, Peter blesses or praises God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ that we have been born again into a living hope. And through the apostle Peter, the Holy Spirit is giving us a vital reminder a vital reminder that we, in Christ Jesus, have a living hope. And why is this such an important reminder? Because Peter says that when we experience the various trials of life, we need this reminder. We need to be reminded that we have a living hope because often we lose hope because of suffering or believe that we suffer or go through trials because God doesn't love us. This is such a common response. We are prone to lose hope or believe that trials or suffering that we experience is because God doesn't love us or maybe even He hates us or He's left us. But as we saw in the book of Esther, what Peter reminds us this morning is that is not true. God does not leave His people. He does not hate His people. In fact, he loves his people, his children. And trials and suffering does not indicate otherwise. Instead, Peter says that because of the great mercy of God, we've been born again into a sure and living hope. Because of the great mercy of God, because of the great Hesed love of God that we see in the Old Testament, that covenantal love, because of the great mercy of God, we have been born into a sure and living hope. And Peter points out four ways in which we've been born into this sure and living hope through resurrection, with an inheritance, 
in the face of trials and our ultimate salvation. First, we've been born into a sure and living hope through resurrection in verse 3. This sure and living hope that we have been born into is based in the resurrection of Jesus, right? It is based not in just some belief. It is not based in some just philosophy. It is based in something true and secure that happened in history, the resurrection of Jesus We are God's initiative in producing this new life, this new life through birth and resurrection, right? No one takes any credit for being born, right? You don't say, man, I did a great job of being born. No, it is something that happens to us. In the same way, we don't have the power to rise from the dead, But through the resurrection of Jesus, we experience new life and new hope. And this resurrection, this power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ brings with it a living hope, one that is genuine and vital. And this hope is not a baseless superstition or as a a philosophy, as I said. It is grounded in the secure and secured by the bodily resurrection of Jesus. Their hope that Peter is writing to those early Christians and our hope is the hope of resurrection, of triumph over death. We are given new birth by God. He fathers us by and through the resurrection of his son. In Christ's triumph, God makes all things new beginning with his people. This is the power of the resurrection that we've been born into a sure and living hope. And we know this, we know this power of the resurrection, this sure and living hope because it comes with an inheritance. Verses four through five. The word inheritance, if you think about biblical history is common in the Old Testament as the nation of Israel is leaving Egypt and prepared to go into the promised land. In Joshua, we see it over and over again for it's the appointment of land for every tribe or family, their inheritance. God gave the land to Israel as an inheritance. And in the land, he gave every tribe and family an inheritance with a lasting right of ownership. But while they wandered in the wilderness, they were sustained by the promise of their coming inheritance. Like Israel in the wilderness, the people of God are aliens and pilgrims, exiles. We make our way through a world that is hostile to the one true king and his kingdom, just like the Israelites found hostility as they wandered through the desert, awaiting entrance into the promised land. Our inheritance is different than the inheritance that was promised of the land. The land could be laid to waste, right? An invading army could come in and destroy it, which often happened throughout Israel's 
history. It could be defiled by the worship of other gods or not caring for the poor, widow, orphan, or sojourner, as God points out over and over again through the prophets. It could dry up because of drought. But Peter says our inheritance is even better. It is imperishable. It is undefiled. It is unfading. It is kept for us. And not only is our inheritance kept for us, we are kept for our inheritance. Right? The wonder of our hope is that the same power of God that keeps our inheritance also keeps us. We are shielded until the great day of our, that our salvation will fully be revealed. We are shielded. We are kept under God. We are protected. It's almost like we're in protective custody. That God is our protector and our shield. Not only keeping our inheritance for us, but keeping us for our inheritance. And that's important that Peter helps us to be reminded that he is keeping an inheritance for us and keeping us for the inheritance because, he says in verse 6, we need to know this, especially in the face of trials, that we have a sure and living hope through the resurrection with an inheritance even in the face of trials. In this you rejoice, he says, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. This inheritance that we have in Christ Jesus brings with it joy and gives us reason to rejoice even in the midst of trials. These trials we experience now are not meaningless. Peter clearly points out that are, but serve to define and purify our faith. Right? Suffering is painful. Or it would not be described as suffering. We can rejoice despite suffering because we know that while it will not persist forever, it strikes now, Peter says, for a little while but one day it will be no more. The trial or suffering is brief when we compare it to our future glory, but it may endure much longer than what we would ever hope. Some want to make this suffering out to be merely suffering of persecution of our faith, but the diverse nature of this suffering that Peter is talking about is conveyed in the phrase, all kinds of trials all kinds of trials. All the things in life that you experience, big and small trials, small suffering, big suffering, everything in between, all that is included in what Peter is talking about in our lives, including suffering for Christ, for persecution of our faith. We're not to seek out ways to be persecuted or seek to bring various trials upon us as some throughout Christian history have thought or taught. That's clear later in the letter when Peter calls believers to be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, to honor everyone, including the emperor. 
Suffering and trials are a part of this life. And so we will experience them, but we are not to seek out, seek them out to be more holy or more godly. We should also not infer from this that sufferings are somehow enjoyable or that a specific reason should be assigned to our suffering. We shouldn't minimize evil actions of others inflicting suffering. Peter assures us, however, that God is working out his plan even in our pain. If our faith is to endure, he says, it must be purified and stress-tested. Like gold, it must pass through the fiery furnace, right? It must, in verse 7, it, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Trials should not surprise us or cause us to doubt God's faithfulness. In fact, Peter says that God sends trials to strengthen our trust in Him so that our faith will not fail. Our trials keep us from trust. Our trials should not keep us from trusting. They they burn away our self-confidence and drive us more and more to our Savior, Jesus Christ. The fires of affliction or persecution will not reduce our faith to ashes. Instead, the fires of affliction or persecution will bring about a truer and stronger faith. As fire does not destroy gold, it improves, it removes and improves the gold. It removes the impurities. And Peter is saying like that, the trials of this life seek to remove the impurities of our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, don't get me wrong. Nobody wants trials or suffering. It is normal for us to think that trials and suffering are bad. Who would want that? But the reality that we see in Scripture, and even backed up by what has been studied in the social sciences, is that trials and suffering are what actually help children develop into healthy and resilient adults. Now, when those trials and suffering are experienced outside of a community of supportive adults, primarily parents, those trials and suffering have detrimental effect. So we don't want people to just go through trials and suffering and leave them to their own devices to experience that without careful help and support. But there is a sense where these trials experienced within a context of supportive and faithful community allow us to grow and to be resilient in life's and what life will bring. And when we have parents that help us work through those trials of life. It makes us stronger, supportive adults. We have that Heavenly Father who is the one who is there for us in the midst of our trials and our suffering. 
in the book, The Coddling of the American Mind, the authors use the speech by Chief Justice John Roberts for his son's middle school graduation to help illustrate this point. About halfway through the commencement, John Roberts says, now the commencement speakers will typically also wish you good luck and extend good wishes to you. I will not do that, and I'll tell you why. From time to time in the years to come, I hope that you will be treated unfairly so that you will come to know the value of justice. I hope that you will suffer betrayal because that will teach you the importance of loyalty. Sorry to say, but I hope you will be lonely from time to time so that you don't take friends for granted. I wish you bad luck again from time to time so that you will be conscious of the role of chance in life and understand your success is not completely deserved and that the failure of others is not completely deserved either. And when you lose, as you will from time to time, I hope every now and then your opponent will gloat over your failure. It is a way for you to understand the importance of sportsmanship. I hope you'll be ignored so you know the importance of listening to others, and I hope you will have just enough pain to learn compassion. Whether I wish these things or not, they're going to happen. And whether you benefit from them or not will depend on your ability to see the message in your misfortunes. You see, our Heavenly Father desires for us to grow it more and more into the likeness of His Son. To more and more have a faith that will not fail. And while it seems counterintuitive, that largely comes through the trials that we face in this life. And it comes through those trials not because of the trials themselves, but because who we turn to in those trials, in those sufferings. And Peter says that that is in Christ Jesus, in the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, in the, the Trinity of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Peter encourages believers then and now with the truth that God will preserve our faith through sufferings and the instabilities of life. They're actually used by God for our ultimate good. Right? Romans 8. <laughs> There's nothing that can separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. And Paul goes through a whole list of things that we would say could separate us from God. And yet he says over and over again, you cannot be separated. Your father loves you to the very end, even in the midst of trials and tribulation. And he will use those things to confirm your faith more and more. That, he will, that you will know his love more and more. And Peter says that in these trials, as we come to the outcome of 
our faith, praise and glory and honor is given to us. Yes, we in Christ receive praise and glory and honor as we obtain our full inheritance. Our full inheritance that is our salvation in Jesus Christ, verses 8 through 12. Peter's main point in the verse is clear. Believers who suffer are not dashed to the ground in their troubles. They know the love of Christ and they love Christ and rejoice in Him even though they have never seen Him and do not see Him now. Our lives are characterized by a hope that fills the present with love and joy. We rejoice and exalt in Jesus Christ even though we do not see Him now. The joy that we experience is a taste of what is to come an anticipation of the end because it is indescribable and glorious. We await the final outcome, the salvation of our souls. And just to remind us that in the Hebrew mind, in the New Testament understanding, because these were those who, had, who were Jewish believers who had come to faith in Christ, the, the soul is not some disembodied thing. The soul in Scripture is the whole person, not a spirit or some or reason that is in contrast to the body. In Scripture, a human, a soul is a psychosomatic unity. The goal of redemption is not the liberation or the disembodiment of our soul, from this wretched life as the Greeks thought. It is new creation, which the whole person enjoys forever with both a new spirit and a new body, one much like the resurrection body of Jesus. We'll be made like him, Scripture says. This salvation is what we have, is the, what the prophets foretold as Paul goes on, or Peter goes on to say in verses 10 through 11, this is what they foretold, looking and longing for the Messiah that would bring this redemption, this salvation. They were serving those who would come after Christ had come. They were serving them in Asia Minor. They were serving us today. This salvation is both a current reality and a future hope, and one that even angels long to look because they can't even believe it. Life is here, but there is more to come. Remember the Peter we thought about earlier this morning? The Peter who knew his own sin and sorrow, the Peter who knew suffering. When Jesus died on the cross, it was the end of all of Peter's hopes. He knew only bitter sorrow for his own denials. And that coming dawn of the first day cannot bring hope. With the crowing of the rooster, he heard the echo of his curses. The resurrection of Jesus was the life-changing reality for Peter. 
The resurrection did more than restore his master to him, his teacher to him. Hope was reborn in Peter's heart with the sight of the living Lord Jesus. Peter has written us to praise God for that living hope. The resurrection crowned the victory of Christ, his victory for Peter and for all those who believe. Peter has written of this sure hope, a hope that holds the future in the present because it is anchored in the past. Peter shares his hopes for God's salvation, God's deliverance from sin and death. His hope is sure because God has already accomplished his salvation in the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Our hope is anchored in the past. Jesus rose from the dead, the resurrection. Our hope remains in the present. Jesus lives and reigns on the throne of heaven. Our hope is completed in the future. Jesus is coming to make all things new. That, my friends, is a sure and living hope. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you that we have a sure and living hope, that it is anchored in Jesus, who rose, who lives, and who's coming again. And Lord, we pray that as we face the trials of life, as we experience the sufferings of this life, Lord, that our living hope is in you and the promise that we have in what is to come. Lord, help us by your Spirit to trust in you. May our hope be in you. May faith, hope, and love abound in us. because you love us and have given your very life for us. And Lord, that you conquered the grave for us. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.